Good morning. We continue in our 40 days of prayer, our focuses. We're drawing these from the Christian Missionary Alliance, and we're aligning ourselves with our national leadership. And today's focus is on the on the very important theme of racial reconciliation. And so I wanted to read for us from Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 14. We've been looking at, uh, further in the chapter, verse 19, we've been looking at the fact that all of us, apart from Christ, are strangers and aliens in in this world. And then when Christ comes into our lives, he changes our citizenship to being those who are citizens of heaven. But in verses 14 through 18, he really explains the basis of this citizenship. And everything is based not on what we do, not our biology, not our, our education or our economic status, political status. But everything is based on Christ. Listen to what Paul says. Talking about Jesus, he says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. In 2021, and having gone through the pandemic now for so many months, and with so much revelation of hostilities in our nation, hostilities that are racial, political, social, it becomes important for us as Christians to have our foundations firmly fixed in the teachings of the Scripture. Here is the very heart of God expressed in the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is the summary of the mission of God, to reconcile individuals, to reconcile the world to himself and Jesus is the one who has has fulfilled that mission. And the Holy Spirit is the one who's empowering us now to complete that same mission, that, that we, that those that we know, those we don't even know, would be reconciled to God. And so the Holy Spirit is working. You can boil down the Holy Spirit's work in two ways in your life. They're very clear in the scripture. One is... It's the Father's intention, now that you are a Christian, to conform you into the likeness of his Son. He's making you more and more like Jesus. You don't, you don't have to ask, Lord, make me more like Jesus. That's the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's doing every single day. You do have to say, as the curriculum of the Holy Spirit's being worked out, yes to the Holy Spirit and not resist, even if it's painful, as he's doing surgery and cutting away the things that are not like Christ in your life. 
But the second thing is this, it's not just so that you will be in the likeness of Christ, but so that as you are becoming more and more like Christ, you are also fulfilling the mission of Jesus. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations. I mean, that's what the Holy Spirit is committed to. When Jesus committed to the mission of reconciling the world to God, the Holy Spirit also committed himself and all that he is and all that he has to that very same mission. That's why when you're out of alignment with the mission of Jesus, you don't experience the kinds of resources that the Holy Spirit has for you. But when you realign your life to the mission of Jesus, you will find yourself fully resourced for that mission. So there's two, really it can boil down to those two things of what the Holy Spirit's doing in the church, conforming us to Christ, making us like Christ, and empowering us to fulfill the mission of Jesus. So when we look at a passage like this, we begin to understand a little more clearly that the Spirit of God, this very life of God, coming to our, into our lives, what, what Paul is saying, creates a tie that exists now between every other believer. The wall of hostility that you have with any other race, that you have with any other uh, socioeconomic background, educational background, all of those are broken down because it's a tie that transcends the differences. Any differences that we see of family, of race, of culture, of class, these are destroyed in the cross of Jesus Christ. Our unity, our fellowship, is not on the basis of anybody else's performance, behavior, or appearance. Our unity transcends all of that. Now, now, part of the reason this is true is that, you see, if law has been fulfilled by Jesus and therefore it destroyed as a means of salvation or means of approval, like Paul talks about here, then, then my acceptance or my approval is not based on comparison. My culture is better than your culture. My education is better than your education. You see, that's law. You would have to have a standard by which you say, this is how I'm approved by God. This makes my culture better than yours. This makes my language better than yours. This makes my education, my, my, my status better than yours. That's law. And what Paul is saying is that when you become a believer, you become a believer because Christ has destroyed the law as a means of comparison. It's no longer the standard. It's, it's not the way that God looks at you. Jesus, having fulfilled the law, gives to you his righteousness, and you're treated as if you're as righteous as Christ. But here's the thing. That's not just for white Anglo-Saxons. It's not just for, you know, devout Koreans. It's not just for, you know, uh, powerful African Christian leaders. It's for every race, every tongue, every tribe. It is not a comparison. It's not a com competition. Because there's no wall to compete with. There's no law to compare to. There's only Christ. And there's only his perfection 
which he has put to our account. So look at, look at this loaded verse. It's verse 18, and it becomes the basis of our confidence, not just for ourselves, but for the church in the whole world, really. Listen, for through him, Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Short verse, incredibly loaded, incredibly loaded here. Uh, every word here is sweet. Look at this, for. It's a, it's a sweet word. Why? Look at what comes before it. But Paul says, Jesus died on the cross to reconcile people to God, but not just to reconcile us to God, but to reconcile us to one another. And what does that boil down to? Well, it boils down to this. For through Jesus, we both, you and everybody else, we have access. This is the bottom line of the Christian faith. This is the bottom line of the Christian life, access. See, a person can be religious. Uh, they can have overcome some bad habits in their life. They can, uh, you know, kind of have some confidence because they've, you know, lost weight or they've changed their habits of life. All those things are great, but that's not the bottom line. Hopefully, you know, the changes in your life are symptoms, maybe the sparks, but they're not the fire. You see, we don't look to the results. We look to the bottom line first. And the bottom line is access to the Father. And, and so <laughs> it comes down to this. Are you in your life moving nearer to God? Or are you moving away from God? I've met people who, who, who in the church, not, not, not here in New City, but I've met people in the church all over the world who hate God who are angry with God, who are bitter with God. And yet they'll say to me, you know, I, I, I made sure I didn't live an immoral life. I, you know, I make sure I come to church. I've even remember this one lady, very bitter with God, and yet would speak in tongues and pray in tongues, and, 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 and yet would not deal with the bitterness that she had with God. Why is that? Well, because for in some reason she had, she had totally missed the center she had completely missed the most the fundamental thing, and that is the access that she has with the Father and the ability to draw near. And so instead of drawing near, she was withdrawing, but she was still doing Christian things. All three members of the Trinity are involved in this access. So, so for through him... So that's Christ. It says there's no other access to the Father except for Jesus. Through Christ, then to, who's the access you have? You have the access of a child, of a son, of a daughter to the Father. And then how? It says by the Holy Spirit. These prepositions are the most important things in this, in this gospel grammar. You can build your whole life on this. That at any moment, even if everything else is failing in your life, everything else is going wrong, these three prepositions, if you can remember them, it's not, you don't have access to the Father through how well you're doing right now. You don't have access to the Father through 
you know, how wonderfully you're worshiping. You have access in a permanent way because it's through Christ, not through you. You have access to the Father. There is no shadow in the Father. He's the, he's, he's the giver of every good gift. And in Him rests every spiritual blessing that Christ has obtained for you. The Father is treating you right now in the way the Son of God deserves because the Son of God was treated in the way that you deserve. And then this access is brought home to you. You know, it's not just that you have, you have, you're welcomed at the court of heaven. Heaven has come into your life. The Holy Spirit has united his life with your life. He is the divine resident in your heart. I love this word access. The, the Greek word here even is more, more rich and meaningful than the English word because it's the idea of having an introduction and having an in with a VIP. It's a picture that Paul is drawing and it's the, the introduction to the greatest inner circle that anyone could ever have introduction to, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Lord of all life, the Lord of love and power. He has taken this access as you've been taken into his heart. His secrets, if you'll wait upon him and linger with him, he will share with you his counsel. As much as you and I can understand, being finite, his infinite counsel, his his all-wise counsel, waits on those who will receive it. Now, if you're double-minded, James says, you're unstable in all your ways and you can expect nothing from God, obviously. But you have access to his counsel. And here is the the one that blows me away in terms of access. He has confidence in you. Isn't Isn't that, it almost feels like a crazy thing. He has this confidence in you. Why, why would that be? Well, because God is outside of time. That's what it means to be infinite. He's not subject to time. So God sees your whole life as one. So he sees the end and treats you in the middle like you already got to the end. And you see, the end of your life is glorification. It begins with he loved you, knowing you, loving you wanting to be intimate with you, even before the foundation of the world, calling you. You look back, and whether it was instantaneous that you came to Christ, or it was a process, God was always calling. God was always initiating. The moment you put your faith in Christ, he justified you. He made you as righteous as Christ and as loved as Christ, and one fell swoop, justified. He's sanctifying you even now bringing your life into the, into the degree of holiness of Jesus himself. But the last step, the last thing on the list is glorification. Not only will you be free from the penalty of sin as you are now and as you're growing in power over sin, glorification is anything that's a defect, anything that's a flaw, anything of your old humanity will be taken away and you 
If you were to see yourself now, C.S. Lewis says, you would fall down and worship yourself because of your glory and your beauty. And he sees you already there. I can't see myself there, but he can. And so he's always dealing with me in the present according to what I will be in the future. This is the access you have. It's why, it's why in so many ways we give up because we only see ourselves now or we see all our flaws from the past and we can't imagine a future as glorious as God has for us. But to him, it's already a reality. God calls you in the present from the future that he has planned for you and destined for you. And it's a desired future. That's the access. That's the inner circle of our, of our holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And interestingly enough, that the greater you begin to avail yourself of access. Like I was saying, some people try to keep on their Christian appearance while withdrawing from God. But those who realize their access are moving towards God. And that's what you really have to ask in your life. Am I moving away from God or am I moving towards God? Am I drawing near to Jesus or am I running from Jesus? That's access is running to. But what happens is what Paul is saying in the word access is he's actually saying that access means you know God. Not that you just know about God. Uh, John the Apostle quotes Jesus as saying, this is eternal life. This is in his high priestly prayer. This is eternal life that they know you, talking to the Father, the only true and living God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. The access and knowledge. You can't just access without knowing. And you can't, you know, in a way, you can't deepen the access unless you deepen the knowledge. So knowing God is eternal life. The more you open your heart to the knowledge of God, you begin to have greater and greater access, which means you get closer and closer to your own glory, to your own destiny. Well, you can know something on an informational level, but what we're talking about is access, drawing near, lingering in the presence, is that it becomes transformational, not just information, becomes personal. So whether you're listening to a sermon or you're reading the scripture or you're singing a song of praise, have you ever felt it become personal? Anytime that that heart gets strangely warmed by truth or or even the melody or the, the lyrics of a song begin to make you cry, or or give you a a giddiness, a sense of joy. That's truth becoming personal. That's knowledge becoming personal. I mean, this this is Paul's whole thing when he writes letters to the people in the churches that he planted, that he that he's trying to pastor by letter writing. He's talking about them becoming uh personal in their knowledge, calls it enlightened. And and he's talking about the fact that someone could know something in an intellectual way, but not really know it in such a way that they rely and they trust in it. Now, of course, I have to start with reading. I have to start with singing. I have to start with listening. But it's as if when it becomes personal, 
whatever it is begins to shine. Something deeper in my heart, Paul called it the eyes of your heart, are enlightened. The Bible often has this, this sense to it, oh, taste and see. You know, making it a, a thing of your senses, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, I've, I've been around Christianity my whole life and around the church my whole life, and the, people do cliches, you know, God is good all the time, God is good. And, I, and, I, and you can see the people who have tasted it when they say it, and who've seen it, and that, those who are just saying it because it's the thing to say. You know, here is one of the things I've found, and I find this often with people over the, the deepest of concepts they 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 have a knowledge of them, but they haven't tasted them. I remember saying to someone the question, do you really know that God loves you? And their answer was so flippant. And it was basically, I know he loves me, but it doesn't do any good. Well, that tells me you don't really know. If someone says to me, oh, I know God is good, but it doesn't help, then really and truly they've never tasted it. It's knowledge, yes, but somehow they have not exercised their access. They need the truth to shine. Well, one of those things is if I understand this, that I have access to the Father, and it's not through me, but it's through Jesus. Therefore, it's a continual access, not based on how well I'm doing, how sanctified I feel, but it's based on this firm historical reality. Christ died on the cross for me. By faith, I have access. But more than that, his spirit begins to make it shine in my heart. Well, nothing about that, nothing about that has happened because I'm qualified. Nothing about that has happened because of my gender. Nothing has happened about that because of my race or my culture or my education. None of those things have had anything to do with the access that leads to this kind of shining knowledge in my heart that gives confidence to boldly approach God. The access, (laughs) the access destroys not only my hostility with God, but my hostility with anyone else. This is why you see racism is the complete opposite of the gospel. Hatred of other races, competition with other races, hatred of other cultures, believing one inferior, one superior, hatred in terms of, of our gender, hatred in terms of age, hatred in terms of any kind of thing in that way is utterly destroyed in the cross. Because no one, no race, no culture, no gender, no, you know, no age group has, has some kind of extra access. Basically, Paul is saying we are all so sinful, we have no access. But Jesus is so loving And God himself, the Father, so wanted you to be a part of his inner circle that Christ died for those who have no right to access. So interesting 
how clear God makes it in his word. Every race, every tongue, every tribe matters to him. For God so loved the world. God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ. This this image of God in every human being, though marred by sin, is yet still the indication of the importance in human life, but an importance without a hierarchy. My friend uh, Ron Morrison wrote today's devotional. He and I were in our doctoral program together. He's now Dr. Ron Morrison. We received our doctorates in the same ceremony. And he's an amazing man who has dedicated himself to planting a church, to developing a church in a difficult transitional part of the city of Cleveland. It's not a place, it's not in a place with a lot of resources and not a place with a lot of riches. And oftentimes when people start to do better in life, they move out of his area. But he and his wife have have pitched their tent there so that they can raise up a new generation of Christian leaders for the city, a new generation of Christian leaders for the church. And he wrote today's devotional, he said, there is no hierarchy of importance in human life. Do you believe that statement or do you assign levels of importance on some over others? What makes one person's life superior and another inferior? See, his question is so important because it goes to the heart of this Ephesians 2 passage. Do you believe somehow that you have access to God on on any other basis than through Christ? Oh, I have access through my church, or I have access through my religion. I have access through my race, my gender, whatever it is. That is not what Paul says. If we're still on the basis of religion, race, gender, age, any of those things, educational status, then it's not through Christ. It is not Jesus plus It is Jesus only or Jesus plus nothing that gives us access. And here is the thing. Obviously from the scripture, no hierarchy there, equal access. Whether you're born in the Arabian Peninsula, the African continent, the continent of South America, Europe, Asia, North America, it doesn't matter, Australia, Antarctica, (laughs) wherever you're from, the access is the same equal access to the Father through the Son, brought about by the Holy Spirit. So then, when we start to say, well, all, all lives matter, Ron says, then you have no problem, he says, assigning every people group equal value. And he says, black lives included. While our nation's history is scarred by injustices like slavery, and current events include the all-too-frequent mistreatment of blacks, Christ followers must lead the way in fully acknowledging the equal dignity and value of blacks as fellow image bearers. This is why we need to allow the Bible to inform our worldview to demolish arguments and take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ and to think like him. Remember, we're being conformed into the image of Christ. We need to agree with God about all image-bearing human life, born and unborn, being of equal value and equally precious in His sight. This includes all black lives.
Here's a very challenging statement he makes. If only the church for which Jesus shed his blood could unify around and embrace the great equalizer, the cross, we could show this world what a holy nation looks like when God is our king. See, that Ephesians 2 passage is the biblical theological basis for what Ron is asking of us. I have access to the Father through Jesus. You have access to the Father through Jesus. The intent of Jesus was that whatever wall of hostility might be between me and you would be completely torn down when I receive him as my Savior and Lord. And the Holy Spirit in the work that he's doing in our hearts, is applying that to our lives so that instead of hate, instead of competition, instead of fear, instead of control or oppression, we feel unity, we feel oneness. Not because we're just alike. Oh, we can be very, very different. But the unifying factor is our access to the Father through the Son, by the Spirit, Ron asks us to pray some things out of this. First, he says, let us recognize this unity. Let's pray that this unity will be recognized that God has brought about through Christ. Each of us, he says, has been given a ministry of reconciliation. It's time to accept that assignment. You have access to the Father to bring others into that same access through Christ. And then the other thing is this. Is there anyone you need to reconcile with? Is there anyone you've hurt or anyone you've spoken in a way you shouldn't have or a broken relationship? Remember, if Jesus tore down the wall of hostility, he's helping you even now to tear down any walls between you and others. Let's take a moment and pray about this together. First, Father, I just acknowledged how beautiful it is that you wanted us in your inner circle. What a thing, what a, what a thing. We know ourselves, we know our sins, we know our brokenness, and yet you have asked us to draw near. But you didn't just say come near, you said in order for you to come near, I have to become, I have to become the sacrifice. So you sent your own son to be the sacrifice, to be the peacemaker that would tear down the walls of hostility, that would take us from being divided humanity into oneness and a new humanity. Lord, we recognize today the the church has not always been very good at this. This that you called us to, to be reconciled and to be reconcilers. And so today, Holy Spirit, work this beautiful work of Jesus in our hearts that, that we who have, the, who have the rights of sons and daughters to access to the Father will not look upon others who have the same access in any other way than in love, in fellowship, in respect, in dignity. We pray especially for those who wish to make this more political than it uh, than spiritual, or we see this as a spiritual thing, that Christ himself cared so much about the walls between the races, between the genders, between ages, between statuses, 
that he, he became that peace that tore down that wall. Now, Lord, may we be those who also tear down those walls. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.